Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. When it comes to the NFL, we tend to think about the 32 teams and the markets they make up. 32 different helmets, 32 different team names, 32 different passion, passionate fan bases. But out of those 32 teams, how many of them actually still play in their original markets? How many fan bases have had their hearts broken due to stadium issues, television deals, and or disagreements between owners and city leaders? Maybe you can relate to those scenarios. My team, the Tennessee Titans, didn't begin in Nashville. Instead, they began in Houston, came to Memphis, and finally landed in Nashville. But even then, there, there was talk a few years ago about the Titans actually moving to Oakland to fill the gap that the Raiders would make when they moved to Las Vegas. The NFL is a living, breathing creature. There are a lot of moving parts involved in this creature, and sometimes those moving parts literally make it to other cities. When I was growing up, I remembered how neat it was to know that the city of St. Louis had two teams in two different sports known as the Cardinals. The football Cardinals played in St. Louis for 28 years. They made the playoffs three times and had an overall record of 187 wins, 202 losses, and 13 ties. But due to lack of attendance, success on the field, and an older stadium, the Cardinals ended up moving to Tempe, Arizona in 1988. Today, we are going to talk to a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, I'm going to let him introduce himself and talk about why he's a fan of those Cardinals. It's a fun interview, and there were several points I had either forgotten about or never knew about the Cardinals' time in St. Louis. If you would like to be part of this podcast, please message me at Jeremy underscore McFarland on Twitter or on the Facebook page of the Footballist Family. Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And while you're at it, take a look at the rest of the great podcasts on the Sports History Network. Thank you and enjoy this interview. I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Footballers Family Podcast, and I have a special guest that's going to talk about an interesting topic. Would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Bob Underwood, and I'm uh, I live in the St. Louis area and grew up uh, 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 as well as many thousands of other uh, fans rooting for the St. Louis Football Cardinals in the mid '70s. Um, so I guess I'm here to talk a little bit about the history of the Cardinals and. Um, I, I am on social media. I've got a Twitter page, Big Red at STL. Uh, and there's a Facebook group with about 3,000 members. And uh, you know, people, someone posted a photo the other night of uh, uh, a Big Red basketball game at uh, one of the local colleges. And somebody had snapped a photo of five or six players signing autographs for kids back in 1975. So it's really neat seeing that kind of uh, uh those photos and videos and stories like that of uh, a lot of fans that are around my age, some are a little bit older that go all the way back to 1960 when the Cardinals played in, in St. Louis after they left uh, Chicago and moved to St. Louis. So um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff and, and uh, the history and uh, 
sharing stories or, or just getting involved with these stories, you know, uh, just uh, do a quick search, uh, St. Louis Football Cardinals on Twitter or Facebook. I still, ha I'm the only St. Louis Football Cardinals page on any social media platform that I've seen. So and I've been doing this for about five or six years. Well, that's impressive. That's impressive. And there's a, probably a lot of fans that have not, didn't know that the Cardinals played first off in Chicago and then played yeah. in St. Louis. And what I understand about that is that I think it was the Bidwells at the time. Is it was yeah. they they knew they couldn't compete with the Bears. Can you tell us a little bit how they got to St. Louis? Yeah, so there's you know I get kind of disappointed. You, you see a lot of uh, people talk on these football groups and about the Cardinals, uh, you know, St. Louis stealing the Cardinals from Chicago. Um, the Bear, or the uh, the Cardinals were owned by Charlie Bidwell, and uh, they won a championship in 1947 in Chicago. They appeared in the 1948 championship game and lost. And, and Charlie passed away before the 1947 season. And his wife, Violet Bidwell, she became the first uh, professional uh, female owner. And she took over the team and remarried a couple of years later. And in the 1950s, the Cardinals were really in the dumps. They had financial trouble. They went through a lot of head coaches, a lot of quarterbacks. And, uh, it, it, and they really, Chicago could support two football teams. Um, but the, the problem was television started back in the, the late 50s, mid to late 50s, and there was always a blackout in Chicago. So when the Bears played on the road and the Cardinals were playing at home, the Bears games couldn't be televised. So there was a, there was a big issue with the two teams playing in Chicago. Uh, the commissioner, Burt Bell, at the time, uh, he pretty much stepped in and, and told George Hallis of the Bears and, uh, and Violet Bidwell and her husband, Walter Wolfner, uh, for, for them to figure it out that one of them had to leave and each offered the other $500,000 to leave Chicago. And the Cardinals felt like they should be allowed to stay because they had been there since 1920. They were the older team and the bears, they drew, they had the fans, they had high attendance and Hallis wasn't going anywhere. Um, so eventually uh, some things happened. St. Louis almost landed an expansion team while the fighting was going on. Uh, the AFL came into play. They, they visited St. Louis in 1960, and they were planning on putting a team in St. Louis that were going to start play in uh, the fall of 1960, the inaugural season of the AFL. Um, and the NFL got a little nervous. So Pete Rosell was the new commissioner, and uh, Walter Wolfner and Violet Bidwell decided they were going to leave and move to St. Louis. Uh, and Pete Rosell approved that in 1960. Uh, I think it was March 13, 1960. And the Cardinals started playing that fall in St. Louis. Now, you said you uh, you started following them in the seventies. Were you uh, you were raised in the St. Louis area? Yeah. So is that? Yeah, I was raised. Yeah, I was raised in the Metro East. I, I grew up in Illinois. Um, okay. You know, so probably why you started from St. Louis. Is that why you started following them? Absolutely. I think uh, you know we still had some. Uh, some, I still had some friends that liked the Cowboys for, for whatever reason, you know, there's Cowboy fans everywhere, <laughs> uh, but we hated the Cowboys and still do. That was a big deal last night. I don't necessarily follow the Arizona Cardinals anymore, but them beating Dallas last night, really, uh, it was a big deal, you know, for Cardinal fans. So, uh, and, and the way they beat them as well. Uh, so that's, that's how I got involved. It was probably 1974. That was the uh, a good year to start following them. They won the NFC East. They appeared in the postseason for the first time since 1948 uh, when they they appeared in the championship game back then. 
Don Coriel was the coach that had all kinds of stars, Terry Metcalf, Jim Hart, Mel Gray, uh, Jackie Smith was still on the team. Uh, you know, so that's, that's how I got involved with uh, rooting for the Cardinals. And, you know, me and my friends, the friends all had the, uh, someone posted a, a photo on Twitter. You may have seen it of uh, uh, their Sears catalog, Jim Hart jersey and football helmet, the little uniforms you could buy back in the 70s uh, out of <laughs> Sears or JCPenney. And that, that led to everyone, including myself. I, I had the jersey and the helmet. I dressed up uh, as Jim Hart for Halloween. I think I had a broken arm, had my arm in a sling. <laughs> so I posted that, and everybody else started posting photos from when they were kids back in the 70s. So you say you don't follow the Cardinals as much anymore. No, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, when they left, uh, I was pretty much done with them. And it kind of coincided. I, I had just graduated high school in 1985, and I had – uh, left for the Navy. So when they actually left, I wasn't living here any longer anyway. So um, it, it, uh, it still stung, but I, uh, you know, the last couple of years they were here, I was gone. So, um, and I, I started following some other teams, obviously when the Rams came here, I was a big fan of the Rams. And to be honest, when the uh, probably around 2012, 2013, when the writing was on the wall that the Rams were going to leave and then the way they left in 2015, I watch very little football anymore. I may have the game on in the, in the background. Uh, I don't necessarily follow it. You know, I had the game on last night a little bit, but I was doing other things. Um, so, and I'm not the only one in St. Louis. It's that way. We've kind of gotten burned a couple of times uh, by some owners, and uh, you know, there's there's still a lot of fans here, but uh, I don't. I really don't follow the NFL much anymore. Do you uh, do you see a lot of Cardinals fans in St. Louis other than the, yeah, the baseball team? Yeah, there's still there's still some. There's uh, I, I would say most of them on on the social media groups are from Arizona though. They just want to know a little bit more about the history of the team. Uh, there's a really good uh, group on the Chicago Cardinals as well. If you can get that guy on your podcast, uh, he could go through you know when the team started 1920 and uh, you know uh, so that, that would be. I think our, our mothership has gotten him on there, and my, his name slipped my mind. But I'm looking. I would like to get that as well. One thing I would like to know uh, is I, I do believe that football becomes family. I mean, when you go to a game, you're around people you don't know, yet you're still rooting for the same team. And yep. you had two teams basically taken from you. Um, what was St. Louis like during those times? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think it was a little bit different and when the Cardinals left. Um you know, when they had a really good season in 1984, and when I say a really good season, they were nine and seven, <laughs> you know, but they, the Titans, you know, we, yeah, we, yeah, I understand. But they, they had a chance if they won the last game, they could have won the division and gone into the playoffs and they were as hot as anybody at the end of the season. So that was a big miss. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy, the Greek predicted them to go to the Super Bowl in 1985 before the season started and they started off three and one and uh, it just went downhill from there. The team had some drug problems. Uh, there was lack of leadership. They, they were started three and one, they finished five and 11. And I think they lost their fir first five or six games in 86, finished four and 11, four, 11 and one. And it, during this time, you know, Bidwell, Bill Bidwell was trying to get a new stadium, a taxpayer funded stadium in the city. And, uh, from, and, and I still read a lot of, uh, articles from that era uh, the media, the sports columnists, they were openly criticizing Bidwell and making fun of him and Neil Lomax. And it, it was just a very strange time. And I think a lot of fans follow that. And, and uh, I think, you know, they left in 1987. And I think 
most, I don't know if I'm going to say most, but a, a large number of fans felt like, let them go. We'll get an expansion team with local ownership. You know, uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> came very close. Uh, but politics, really, pol- ultimately politics led to the Cardinals leaving. Uh, but I think if, if we had better ownership, I think there would have been more support, fan support and uh, pressure to keep the team here. Um, with the Rams, they just left for greener pastures. Uh, and they were a bad team, too, uh, after the greatest show on turf. I don't think they had made the playoffs since 04. Maybe it was 06. But they went through a three-year stretch where they won five games, you know, and 15 games over like a five-year stretch. Hmm. Uh, and that's, that's tough to overcome. Uh, they hired Jeff Fisher, and they were kind of like the Titans. They had a few seasons where they were seven and nine, eight and eight one year. <laughs> you know, so they were very mediocre. But, um, you know, once Stan Kroenke took over the team, um, you know, the, he didn't talk to the media. It, it was just very quiet, you know, and, and the general manager uh, just he kept promising they weren't going to leave, you know, but uh, ultimately they did. And they kind of trashed the city on the way out as well. So it really left a sour taste on a lot of people's mouths. Well, that's that's one thing about. Um, that's one thing about a, a team leaving. Uh, we had about two years ago, we had the Titans talk about moving to Oakland about three years ago. Huh. And, uh, you know, I, I never experienced that. You don't want to say that you get attached to a team because it's just a team. Mm-hmm. But you do. You do. It becomes part of who you are. So it's got to feel like that's that's part of your life being taken from you. Just that, you know, a little bit of that part. So tell me some tell me some memories. Um, I've got some things here that I from 1960 to 1987. Uh, one thing I didn't know is one of my favorite favorite people of all of all time, Gene Stallings, was a coach here. I did not know that he was. Um, he started in 1986. He got up to a really bad start. <laughs> the very first game, there was a controversial play call at the end of the game uh, where they ran the ball on fourth down and goal with 15 seconds left in the game. And, and uh, they got the first down, but they didn't score and they couldn't stop the clock. And I'm pretty sure he admitted later that he thought the clock stopped after they got the first down like it does in college. Oh. And they, they ended up losing the game 16 to 10. To the Rams and the season kind of went downhill from there. They, they started 0 and 5 or 0 and 6. And uh, I think they won four games. Two of them were against Tampa Bay who were real. They may have been worse than the Cardinals, you know, so it was a really tough season. 87, they came back pretty strong. Um, you know, they were kind of a lame duck team. Uh, Bill Bidwell hadn't announced that they were going to relocate yet, but I think everybody kind of knew that they weren't going to be around in, in St. Louis, and the attendance was very bad. Uh, it wasn't great in 86 either, mainly because of the, the product. Uh, but they had a pretty good team. Lomax bounced back, had a good year. Um, Stallings had a you know, the first year in Phoenix, had a very, very good year until Lomax got hurt. I think they were probably playoff bound. Uh, and uh, they, they beat the 49ers, who I think won the Super Bowl that year, uh, or they were at least in the Super Bowl or, or – uh, in the championship game, they beat them on a Monday night, I believe. I didn't follow him that closely, but, uh, you know, I, I felt bad for Gene because he came into a situation after the 85 season and they just didn't have a lot of talent. You know, Lomax was uh, coming off a bad year and it continued in 86. And they ended up trading OJ Anderson after four or five weeks in the 86 season. And there were accusations of Gene Stallings being a racist and that the players wanted out of St. Louis. 
which OJ later took back. You know, I think he was just hurt that he, he was traded, but uh, it was a rough first season for Gene Stallings, that's for sure. Well, that's um, if if anybody knows Gene Stallings, that's not who he is. He's yeah. a pretty decent guy. Now, what I found out, and I didn't know this, is that they had to have permission from from the baseball Cardinals to use the Cardinals' name. Is there anything um, behind that? I don't know if that's if there's any. And I've done a lot of research on the relocation. I don't recall seeing that. I do know that there was talk of the football team changing their name just because of confusion, you know, with the, with the baseball Cardinals already being here. Um, I do remember seeing a quote from Bill Bidwell that, you know, they were, they were already kind of called the big red in Chicago and they would just kind of go by that. So uh, if you read the papers, you know, you, you would see the Cardinals referred to as big red or grid birds or grid cards or something like that, you know, uh, just to minimize the confusion. But no, I hadn't heard that they needed to get permission from the baseball now, team. Again, uh, I have found out in my research on these, um, with these teams that the internet is not always right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it depends where you get your information. Well, the, the thing is you can dig deep. Uh, I try not to go to Wikipedia as my first and primary source, mainly because I don't trust Wikipedia very much. Uh, but I did find out the Gridbirds. I love that name. Mm-hmm. I love that name. Do you, do you uh, know the background behind that? No, I, I just think it was probably something that the, uh, the, we had two newspapers in town back then and, and, uh, the, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they're still around in the St. Louis Globe Democrat. And if you go back and read some of those early story, game stories and things like that, I think it was just a way, um, of them comment, you know, uh, referring to the football team. Um, I think it was something the media kind of uh, made up and kind of like the big red, you know, probably it started in Chicago and it kind of carried over. And, and uh, so, I, but I don't know who coined that, that, that phrase. I think it was just something, something to use to differentiate between the football and the baseball teams. Now that is a, that's neat. Uh, when I think of big red, I think of the gum and I don't think that that's <laughs> what I'd want my team known. Yeah. As. Now, or Nebraska football, you know, they're known as well, big red also. Well, Nebraska. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, what are some of your memories, some of your special memories about the Cardinals being there? In um, you know, unfortunately, back in the, the late 70s, and uh, yeah, they were on TV most, most of the time in the, during the Cardiac Cards era, but the NFL had this archaic rule, blackout rule, where you had to be sold out 72 hours before the game. So, you know, it would all, I, I remember reading the paper, you know, there was no internet back then. So you'd read the papers like, okay, how many tickets are left, you know, before noon on Thursday. Uh, and usually a local TV station, uh, CBS, I think they had the games back then. If there were two or 3000 tickets left, they would buy them and hand them out just so the game could be televised locally. But once uh, Don Coriel left, there were some pretty lean years and there were a lot of, a lot of home games. You know, the Dallas game was always televised. They, they would sell out. Um, but a lot of the home games weren't. So um, I just remember I, me and a lot of my friends would listen to the Cardinals on the radio and they had some great radio broadcasters. Um, and we'd go out and play out in the yard and put the game on real loud, you know, so we could listen to the game. And uh, that, th- those are my earliest memories of uh, listening to games on the radio. Um, and then sometimes even when they were on TV, I think we only had one TV in the house. <laughs> you know, so my dad would be watching a Western or something. So I was, I was still listening to the game on the radio. Uh, you um, know, it's something about the radio that's much better than the television. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. 
got a couple names I want to want to throw out to you here. Sure. Larry Wilson. What's the first thing you think of when you think hear the name Larry Wilson? Uh, just tough. You know, the guy pound for pound, there was nobody tougher, maybe in the history of the game. You know, he, he was five foot 10, maybe at the most, uh, didn't even weigh 200 pounds, you know, probably 180 pounds. Um, he would get run over at times, but you know, he would remember and he'd, he'd pay these guys back. Um, you know, he was, a lot of people say he was the inventor of the safety blitz. They, the Cardinals actually had a defensive coordinator that kind of came up with the safety blitz. And once they got Larry Wilson, I think in 1961, they started using that blitz. Um, and he just ran it to perfection. Um, even if he didn't get the quarterback sack, he was in the backfield just creating havoc on the quarterback. So forcing turnovers, uh, um, you know, he just passed away a few weeks ago. Yes, he did. And uh, so I can't remember his age now, early 80s, I guess. Um, and they actually had the funeral here in St. Louis. Um probably two or three weeks ago, but uh, I, I can't say he was my all-time favorite Cardinal because I never saw him play, but I've seen a lot of video, um, the famous video of him intercepting a pass with two broken hands. You know, he had yes. cast on both hands, yes. intercepted a pass in 1965 and returned it you know, down to the two or three yard line, which led to the winning touchdown. Um, you know, just a lot of stories like that that are, that are unbelievable. Did so. you um... – and I think he had no teeth too. So he pretty much was. Yeah. He lost his teeth pretty early. And if you see some photos, if you just do a search uh, on the internet, you'll see a lot of times where you can tell he doesn't have any teeth in his mouth when he played. I, uh, I actually, of all things, I found one of his cards at a card show and had to buy it because he was grinning. Yeah. He had nothing there. <laughs> but uh, if I read it correctly, he was the general manager at one point. He was, um, you know, that was one of the things with the Cardinals is, uh, you know, Bidwell, Bill Bidwell is much maligned here uh, for being a poor owner. And he was uh, by all accounts, though, he, he there was a, a great guy, very charitable, uh, you know, but as far as running the football team, when he took over the team from his brother, him and his brother, Stormy, uh, uh, they were co-owners and he bought him out in 1972. Yeah, but before that, Bill was uh, he was the one signing contracts with the players. Uh, and he hired a guy named Joe Sullivan, who um, kind of uh, uh, he did, he started doing the contracts in the early '70s, all the way up to the into the mid '80s or so, early '80s. Um, but Larry Wilson was uh, director of player personnel. I think he uh, helped with a draft for a little while when, when he first started. But the Cardinals never really had a true general manager until 1988. Uh, but yeah, I guess it was '88 that. But one of the first things Bidwell did when they moved to Phoenix was hire Larry Wilson as the general manager. So that was the first general manager that the Cardinals ever had. So they never really had one while they were in St. Louis. Well, they, they never picked, had a football guy. They picked a good one with that. Don Coriel. What's yeah, Don Coriel. Impression? Uh, you know, just uh, really an offensive genius. Um, he came to St. Louis in 1973. Uh, I think his record in college at San Diego State was like 100 wins and 15 losses or something crazy like that. Uh, he became the first coach to win 100 games in college and the pros. Um, but, you know, the Cardinals had uh, two consecutive four, nine, and one seasons. And his first year in 1973, they still finished four, nine, and one. Uh, but they moved the ball up and down the field. They still made a lot of mistakes, but you could tell it was a different team. 
And then in 74, they win 11 games, come out of nowhere and, and, uh, and win the division and, and make the playoffs. Same thing in 75, 76, they were 10 and four. They did not make the playoffs, uh, which was very uh, disheartening. And then 77, they were seven and three uh, going into Thanksgiving against Miami. And they just got blown out. Bob Greasy threw six touchdown passes. They lost their last four games. And that was the end of the Coriel era. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of misperceptions about Coriel. And, and I had a discussion on the Facebook group the other day. He's kind of known as Air Coriel, running the Air Coriel offense. But with the Cardinals, they didn't throw much more than 20 passes a game. It was completely different than in San Diego. You know, they were known as the cardiac cards in St. Louis. And they ran the ball. In 1975, they, uh, Jim Otis led the NFC in rushing. I don't even know if you remember who Jim Otis is. but no, no. <laughs> You know, he was their fullback. He wasn't even Terry Metcalf. You know? So he so led the – He knew his team and he knew the talent that he had on yeah. – that he was more able to run the ball with St. Louis compared to um, – my mind went blank. The quarter – Dan Fouts over in San, yeah. San Diego. Yeah. Now, they, they didn't throw often – you know, but, uh, man, they had some big plays. Mel Gray was as good as anyone. Oh, yeah. Again, pound for pound, he may have been the best wide receiver in the league in the 1970s. Um, you know, I, I read a stat the other day. I was watching a, a video uh, from, like, halfway through the 74 season, or maybe it was the 75 season, and half of their passing touchdowns had gone for 40 or more yards. And, uh, you know, Mel Gray averaged almost 20 yards a catch his entire career. Good so they, yeah, they had some big play. Uh, Jim Hart had a big arm. They had some big play wide receivers. Um, I, I Karras, uh, showed up later in the seventies and, uh, uh, uh I losing my training, Earl Thomas, <laughs> I almost called him Dwayne Thomas, which is his brother, uh, Earl Thomas uh, in 74 and 75 had some big years. So it was, it was a great offense. They didn't throw every down like San Diego, but, uh, he, he was just a, a genius with his, uh, play calling so if i gave you a piece of granite and a chisel and said make your mount rushmore of st louis cardinals who would they be who would be your uh, and well you'd have to start have to start with larry wilson and uh so mount rushmore is that four or five <laughs> well, you could, well they were going to make five but it just yeah. didn't work out so we're going to go we're going to go with how many you can put up on there well i would go with the four hall of famers and jim hart that's who i would go with uh, OJ Anderson would be very close as well. He's just, he's right there with Jim Hart. I think, um, I wrote a blog, uh, last year or the year before. And I ran, it was, it was this past year because it was the NFL 100th, 100th season or whatever. So a lot of teams were ranking their top 100 players and the NFL did that. And I ranked the top 100 St. Louis Cardinals and it was the four hall of famers. And then I actually had OJ Anderson fifth and Jim Hart sixth. Um, but they're right there. You know, they both have, um, they're both borderline hall of famers. I mean, Jim Hart would be in the hall of fame if he had some postseason success. You know, he had two postseasons where, uh, they lost both games. Um, and, and OJ is the same way. OJ obviously did have postseason success. Uh, so I, I think he's a very close to being a hall of famer as well, but I, I would go with, uh, Larry Wilson, number one, uh, uh Jackie Smith. I, the next three you can rank Jackie Smith, Roger Worley, um, Dan Deardorff, you know, and then Jim Hart. That, that would probably be my top five with OJ right there. Dan Deardorff. That was, um, I think if I remember correctly, he went to Michigan, didn't he? He did. And, and he's from Canton, Ohio. He didn't Grew up in Canton, Ohio. 
he no, he didn't. Far, did he? But I remember There's, him holding out his hands. Of course, his fingers are huge and misshapen, but he had on one finger, he had his college Hall of Fame ring, and on his other, he had his, his uh, Pro Hall of Fame ring. Yeah. I wondered if he's one of the few that have both. I, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. College Hall of Fame and Pro Football, and Pro Football Hall, of Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's more. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I, I think you, if that you just something special for him yeah. to be one of your one of your fellows and have that honor for both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to leave us with something, Mister Bob, what what little bit of trivia can you lead us with? Think about something that would be a good way to say, "Remember the St. Louis Cardinals." Uh, should have emailed me that ahead of time. Now <laughs> ah, see, this is why I want people on, on the, on the edge of their seats. Yeah. Uh, trivia, trivia, trivia. Uh, what stadium did they play in before they played at the Bush stadium? But okay. So all the two stadiums they played in were called Bush stadium. Okay. Um, I still, I still refer to the first one as old sportsman's park. Again, it's kind of like grid birds. It's just a way to differentiate between the Bush stadium that we know, you know, of course the really young fans don't remember the second Bush stadium either. You know, they, they know the new one, but uh, it was old sportsman's park. Uh, it was renamed Bush stadium in the 1950s. I think when Anheuser Bush bought the Gussie Bush bought the stadium. Okay. okay. Um, and that's where the baseball Cardinals played. Um, you know, there's some interesting things uh, you had mentioned. I thought you were going a different direction when you talked about uh, uh, the baseball team, giving permission for the Cardinals to be named Cardinals, but they did have to share Bush Stadium, uh, not only the first, uh, the old Sportsman's Park, but the second sports, uh, the, the second Bush Stadium. Uh, there were times where they'd be, the football team would be out there practicing at the same time as the baseball team. And uh, just some very strange, at the oh. baseball practice went long. The t- football team couldn't get out there, you know, so there was a, there were a lot of problems. Uh, but one neat little uh, thing of trivia is when they came to St. Louis, before they built Bush Stadium 2, they would have to start their first, other than their first season, they were, they were allowed to play their second game at home. But after that, they would start their first four games of every season on the road because the baseball team didn't want the, the field tore up from football games. And in 1964, the Cardinals were in the World Series against the Yankees, and, and the, uh, the, uh, football team, the football Cardinals had to uh, rescheduled their first home game, which would have been week five to Baltimore to play the Colts because the Cardinals were playing a world series game. So they actually played their first five games on the road in 1964. That's the problem with all the dual use stadiums that I guess the baseball team is considered the primary tenant when you think. They were in St. Louis for sure. You know, it was called Bush stadium. The Bush family owned the baseball team. Well, there you go. So, and, and, and that's part of the reason, you know, that, uh, that Bill Bidwell, he always felt like he was playing second fiddle to the baseball team here. And he was to an extent, but you know, when they were winning in the 1970s, the baseball team wasn't very good. And the, and the big red owned the, owned the city then, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the problems, uh, Bill brought upon himself, you know, he, he wasn't very good with PR, uh, didn't like to give interviews. He was kind of socially awkward and, uh, didn't get along with the politicians and the, and the big businessmen in St. Louis. And, and ultimately, when it came time when he wanted a new stadium and they weren't winning, uh, you know, the politicians basically told him to take a hike. They thought, they thought we'd be better off with an expansion team, you know, in five years. Well, they got a pretty good stadium now there in Arizona. They, they absolutely do. I believe yeah. it's in Glendale, isn't it? 
Yeah. Um, I have, we went to St. Louis, my family, I went to St. Louis about two years ago and we drove by the Edward Jones dome. Yep. And, um, I, I watched something recently that said that that stadium was basically made to fail. It is pitiful. I don't know if it was made to fail, but when they built it, the design was already 10 years old. <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. so, 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 you know, five to 10 years into the stadium, you know, it was already outdated. Uh, you know, as a fan, you know, it was always kind of dark there and the fans kind of ripped on it. And, uh, but nobody was complaining when Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk were here. You know, nobody complained about the dome those three, four years, you know, when they went to two Super Bowls and won a Super Bowl. Uh, but when they were winning, you know, one game a year, three games, <laughs> you know, it was everything, everybody else's fault. The stadium was no good. You know, um, I always had a good time there. And I tell you what, I, I go to the uh, Army Navy games quite often in Philadelphia at their new stadium. Uh, I don't know how new it is, but, um, you know, the dome. They had nice wide concourses and you go to Philadelphia and you, and the concourses are so narrow. You know, it's a new stadium. You're walking in between people in line to get refreshments and things like that. So um, I never really had a problem with the dome myself, other than it was just kind of dark and, and dreary in there. Well, you know, winning solves a lot of things, but yeah. I'll tell you this, even if you don't follow football, you have your cards and you have your blues. Yeah. I bet you're happy. Yeah, we had the Battle Hawks for a, a few weeks uh, in the XFL did, this year. <laughs> you did. Well, that's one thing about having a city like St. Louis. You have a lot to do. And I appreciate you, Mr. Bob, for, for coming on yeah. the Football's Family Podcast. And, again, where can we follow you on Twitter? Um, I, I mean, the easiest thing is just to do a search for St. Louis Football Cardinals, and my, my site will pop up. I think it's Big Red at ST, or Big Red underscore STL. Is, is the Twitter handle. And then there's a Facebook group. I've got a blog. Again, just type in St. Louis Football Cardinals and, and Google and all these sites will pop up. So even YouTube, I got all kinds of videos on YouTube. Now that I will find. I love, yeah. I love me some YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Footballers Family Podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.